Love Talk Radio. Now think about this. 
very same people that are all upset about corporate America and capitalism and all of the the nightmares associated are the very same people that go, woo-woo, it's legal. Well, how is it legal? It's legal in the same way that capitalism reigns supreme. It's legal in the same way that the big corporations get to operate because they're the only ones that have the money to. They're the only ones that can afford to. They're the only ones that have the lawyers to. They're the only ones that are able to get their foot in the door and participate in the limited accessibility of the cannabis plant to a limited number of people. And by that I mean, in my experience, I don't know, maybe it's enough. I've been doing this since 1982. 1982, I started growing my first plant. And I've been involved in some way, shape, or form with people in this plant ever since that time. And, you know, the one thing I've noticed about the people that need this plant most are that they don't have any money. People on fixed incomes, people on low income, those same people get sick just like the people that have plenty of income. And California had a great law not too long ago. Well, it was great enough had it been applied properly that allowed people to get together and grow a few plants and share them among themselves, and if they had a little extra, they could sell it. It made enough sense. That was for the medical market that said if you went to a doctor and a doctor gave you a recommendation that you were qualified, a qualified patient. It was pretty easy to get, as it should have been, but there was all kinds of blowback to that. And under... The vice presidential nominee for the Democratic Party, Kamala Harris, people got prosecuted. Doctors lost their licenses. Can you imagine that? A doctor. Can you imagine going to school for whatever, 10 years, passing the MCAD, going to your residency another three, four years, whatever it is. You're spending 12, 14 years before you even start your practice. And then you feel strongly enough after going through all that trouble and all that expense to get that medical license to risk it for this plant. And then to find out that in the very state that allowed this to happen, you get set up, somebody actually coming into your office with the sole purpose of setting you up. To, to somehow demonstrate that you're not doing things right and to go after your license. Imagine that. Well, I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen more than once. I've seen doctors that have lost their licenses because of Kamala Harris, who's potentially, pretty likely, if if her president gets elected, it's pretty likely that he's not going to make it through his first term and she's going to end up being your president. 
Now, I'm not saying we got any good choices. I'm not here to talk about politics. I'm just saying be mindful. Do some research. Knowledge is power. Get some. So the, <coughs> excuse me, the craziest part about this year in my mind isn't COVID, isn't the crazy president, isn't the, all the other wacky and wild things that are happening. But the crazy thing in my mind is that Michael Thompson's still in prison for pot. That I had a friend who just got raided in California for a couple of plants. Our tax dollars at work. How much did it cost to spend 20 SWAT members to a remote ranch in California with a big greenhouse and a bunch of vegetables growing in it and a couple of CBD plants? Tossed the whole place, put a, an elderly man through PTSD, Apologized after they realized that there wasn't what they were there to find. Turned out the informant might have been wrong. Hmm. Maybe that's something we should be upset about. Maybe the fact that it's not about how many plants you had. It's not about any detail about this. It's not about that it's legal and he wasn't following the law. We were explicitly told by our founding fathers to disobey bad laws. I agree with that, and I acknowledge that, and I willfully disobey every law that I deem to be unjust and immoral. And I encourage you to do the same. That's what this is about. It's about the bankruptcy, the moral and 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 logical bankruptcy of the idea of cannabis prohibition and the, the unacknowledged, unseen devastation that it does. If you've ever been raided, it's a traumatic experience. I've been raided twice. My family has been raided twice. My dogs have been raided twice. My children have been raided twice. My property has been raided and, and raped. Do you realize that the cops that raided my house the first time left a shit in every single one of my toilets while I was locked up behind bars and for my wife to deal with? Do you realize that? This is from your tax dollars at work. Maybe we have some changes to make. Maybe it's important. Maybe today is the day to decide to get involved. I showed up today on purpose without a show planned. I wanted to just kind of see what would unfold. This weekend, I spent up in the High Sierras. I do that from time to time. I get away and go up to the mountains. It doesn't cost much, and I can just be in a place where, where it's just me and God place of nature, a place that's beautiful and quiet, and I don't have to deal with people, and I don't even get a cell signal. And I went up there, and I actually went camping with my uncles. I've got four uncles that are about my age. We grew up like brothers and hadn't been camping in over 15 years. We decided to get together. And the first night that I got there, 
we were actually in the wrong campsite, but it was an interesting experience because I was laying there in a cot, no tent. It was just a beautiful night. And I was laying there, and I got woken up by the brightness of the moon rising. And I looked up at the sky, and i got to tell you, it must have been probably between 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. And I saw the most remarkable sight. I had never seen anything like that before, and I'd stare at the sky for hours and hours and hours in many, many different places. But for whatever reason, this one spot at this one moment is emblazoned in my head. I can see it right now if I was to close my eyes. A beautiful, beautiful, crystal clear moon off on one side and a planet below it. I don't know what planet it was. And then off to the right there was a cluster of planets, beautiful and bright. And just, my God, the stars, the Milky Way, and just, boom, my God, it was amazing. And it was almost like as intense as a as a psychedelic trip. It could have been on mushrooms or DMT or acid or anything. It was that intense. And I don't know why that struck me so amazing. As again, I've seen, I've been to observatories. I've looked at the sky. I've looked at it through telescopes. All kinds of cool stuff. But this one vision just stuck in me. And you know what it was? I was kind of explaining. Uh, to a client today about the human solution and the work we're doing, and all of a sudden that experience just came into my into my heart, into my mind. And what it was was I saw the magnificent magnificence of the universe in front of me. Just what I could see, knowing full well that if I even had a little telescope, I could go and see farther and farther, and how big it actually is. And then to know that I was laying there on a cot, naked to the world, looking up at it. And as insignificant as I might have seemed, I was a part of it. I was a part of it that mattered. And I don't know. It just it just it, it just reinforced in my heart that the things that I do, the things that I think, the things that I say, the things that I that I, I find him important to me are important. And then I think about, all the time, I think about, well, what am I spending my time on? Sometimes I go, man, this human solution deal, it's so much work. It's so hard to get people to get involved, to care, to to, to engage it. And then all of a sudden, you get a moment like that, and then you think back on all the people you've touched. You think back on all of the actual magnificence of it. You think about how important it really is or could be at any given moment and that you're a part of that. I have people in my life, <laughs> a lot of people in my life. I'm a pretty blessed guy. i got a lot of people in my life. I don't know. Sometimes it's a mixed blessing because those very people in my life are in my life for some reason. You know, they say people are into your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. And frankly, I think most of them are there for a reason. And that reason generally has to do with them. You know, when you talk to people, the thing that they want to say most is it's got a me in it. Everybody wants to talk about me. 
and, and mine and the thing I'm doing and the, my idea and all of this. And we're all the same that way. But sometimes we meet somebody or we become aware of something that gets you to realize that it's not just me, it's we, it's they. That it's bigger than just me. Hey, honey, can you grab me my coffee out of the fridge? Thank you. I said you're doing a cup of joe without a cup of joe. I figured something was not right with this picture, but I couldn't figure out what it was. And then I went to reach for my cup, and it wasn't there. Anyways, that's about to be rectified. I digress. And so without a, a specific topic, one of the things I want to pose a question, what do you care about enough to do something about? What matters enough to you to do something about? Yeah, I know people that donate their time and energy to nonprofits all the time, but why? What is it that they do that's so important? What is it that the group or the the, the people that you'll support and put your time into, what is it that they do that you find so important? I'd like to know because I would like to find out, is it something that the human solution does? Is it something that we could do, should do? I'm on a mission right now to get this organization to be as big and as strong and as capable as it possibly can before our elections come around. Coming up soon, coming up in about six weeks. I look at other organizations, most of them do a single little thing. Could be a good thing, could be a thing that you support. I appreciate that if that's the case. Is that thing important enough to put time and money into it? Because if it is, is it something that we do? Is there a reason why you say you like the human solution but you don't personally get involved? I'd like to know that. You know, if you got something that you'd like to share with this this conversation, I'd sure love to hear it. You can see right there, 646-929-2495. Pick up that phone and call and say, hey, I'd like to talk about the human solution. I wish you guys would do that. I'd get more involved if do that. Or gosh dang it. All I needed to do was get more involved, and here I am. Here's my uh, here's my dues. I want to I want to be an active member again. Because if you haven't renewed your dues in the last year, you're not an active member. You don't get a vote. But I want you to. I want you to vote. I want you to be engaged. I want you to participate. I want you to be part of what I consider to be the very best nonprofit out there. And if there was a better one, I'd be supporting it rather than carrying this one rather than engaging this one, rather than being a part of it, being proud of it. So I'm interested in what you guys think, what you're, what you're into. What would you like to see? What's keeping you from getting involved? What's keeping you from being a member? What's keeping you from, as a member, running for office? I think we're going to have the very best team we've ever had come up this, this election cycle. We're going to be a whole lot more demanding of our leadership, that's for sure. Leadership that gets elected is going to be required to donate 20 hours a week of their time to being a board member, not to mention an executive position. 
some of us have been doing that already, but everybody will be doing it. Imagine what will happen when we get more and more people participating. I think it's going to be amazing. I'm very much looking forward to it. The chapters are going to begin uh, getting really active pretty quick, or they're going to get disassembled. And that's not a threat. It's just the way it is. You know, things are what they are. You can't say you're an athlete if you don't work out. You can't say you're a football player if you don't play football, right? You can't say you're a part of the human solution if you're not an active member of the human solution. It's just that way. So I encourage, invite, hopefully entice, inspire you to learn a little bit about what we're about. We've been doing this stuff for 10 years, more than 10 years. T-H-S-I-N-T-L.org, that's the website that it's all sitting there on. We're maybe the only organization that I know of that has a code of conduct. What does that mean? Well, we're going to talk about that for a second because I have to do something now that I've never had to do before. And it troubles me to have to do it because I'm not that guy. But I actually have to explain some things that have to do with our code of conduct. So when somebody becomes a member, it's it's in our paperwork and it's in our website about our code of conduct. But it mostly applies to leadership because they're the ones that really represent the organization. Members do too, and if the members representing the organization strong enough, I'd say they probably should be leadership. <laughs> but if somebody has gotten engaged with this organization, we have a code of conduct, and it's pretty simple. And it basically says we don't act in a way that causes harm to anybody. We don't create drama. We don't attack anybody. We don't act in a morally deviant way while we're representing this organization. And if you're leadership, then you're always representing this organization. And if you violate this code of conduct, there's two things that can happen. One, somebody can actually complain, and that's happened before, and can bring in a formal complaint to the board and we'll have to decide what to do. Uh, very seldom, again, in 10 years, there's been only a few people that have been asked to leave. Um, but there have been a few. And most recently, we've actually had a flurry of a, of a couple people that were actually members of the Human Solution and one that really wasn't but has connected himself to the Human Solution. And generally what happens is when they're asked to leave, they just go away, and that's it. No harm, no foul. Usually there's enough self-pride. Now i got some in the fridge. There, was nothing there it is. In there. There's a whole cup in the fridge. That's okay. A whole cup. Yeah, big, big tall cup. Anyways, generally people have enough self-pride and, and, and whatever to just go away. We don't talk about it. I have never talked about anybody that left, even if they caused me personal harm, caused the organization harm. I've never, ever talked ill about them in any way, shape, or form. Never needed to. But today, today it got brought to my attention 
that somebody who I love and trust and, and has been a, a lifetime member of the Human Solution for many years, has been a guest on the show many times, used to be imprisoned for cannabis, came to me and said, hey, I'm going to be going to this place and I'm going to be meeting with this person. And I said, really? He says, yeah, they're they're with the Human Solution. And I says, really? I says, tell me about it. And he told me just a little bit. I said, listen, these people in no way, shape, or form are connected to this organization. They've been asked to leave. They violated our code of conduct. They're con artists. They're deviant. They're, they're, they, they've caused us personal harm. They've attacked us personally. They've threatened my life. And that's all I could do. Generally, I, I, I keep that private. But then as I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking to myself, he said, well, they're still saying they're part of the human solution. They're still saying their, their message and their phone or whatever. Somehow they're still declaring that they're part of this organization. And I thought about that. And I go, man, that's really horrible. What, what do you do, right? What do you do? I mean, I could sit there and say I'm part of the Shriners Club and go on a, on a, on a hate spree and, and, and do some horrible things and wear a Shriners hat. Does that make me a Shriner? No, not really. And I could go on and on about that. I could, I could, I could put on the vestments of, of any church or any organization and, and claim that I am this and act in a way that's not that. And I could do some damage because we live in a world where negative news gets all kinds of coverage. People buy into it because they heard it. And it's happened. It's happened over and over again. i got to wonder today how much damage has been done by these people who are still, I don't know, somehow stomping on our great organization. So I just want to be very clear. There is nobody with the last name of Yapel or Iken that in any way, shape, or form are connected with the Human Solution International. And that's all I'm going to say. But I'm saying it very clearly, and if anybody thinks differently, reach me on the side and I'll explain it to you. Never had to do this before. I don't feel good about it. I don't like that I had to do that, but um, I have to be very clear about what's happening. We have a, a lot of people that have recently signed up as membership for the Human Solution International. I have lots of people that are pledging to do so. We have sponsors for the Walk for Change. We have all kinds of things that are happening right now, and I don't want any of it to be tainted or sullied or in any way lessened because of some people that just don't seem to have any moral compass and are willing to do things that would cause harm to another. You know, it's interesting. Activists that I know generally are good and kind and loving people. And I was meeting with a, a lady today and hopefully she'll be involved with this organization soon and uh, engage with the efforts that we make. But I said, you know, so many times if, if we have something in common that's good, 
and you know we're a team. We could be a team. If I do something well and I believe that this is a good thing, and you do something well that's different from the thing that I do, and you believe that very same thing is good, why aren't we working together? Simple question, right? Why aren't we working together? And she couldn't come up with an answer. I said, exactly. Why aren't we working together? It's a great question. I'd love it. I'd love to hear an answer. Why aren't we working together? It's my question to you. You as a member of a group that's not the human solution, you as an individual who's thinking about becoming an activist, you as somebody who wants to be involved but doesn't want your face out there. You know, recently we had somebody come to us in the Walk for Change. They were excited and they loved the work and then they disappeared. And I come to find out that well they didn't want their they didn't want to be seen and we were a little too public for them. I was like, Wow. You'll smoke the pot, you'll behind closed doors get involved. But you don't want to be seen. What happens so many times is that when you get busted, because eventually so many do. You come looking for a group like us, and then you want to help. I've had it happen so many times. People that were my friends, people that were business associates. Oh, yeah, good job, man. You're doing great. Oh, yeah, I totally support what you're doing. Never donated a nickel, never donated a minute, never got involved, never participated in a meeting, but you're down with it. And then you get raided. Who are you going to call? Us. Yep, it's what happens. It's what happens every single time. So my question to you is, what's keeping you? Jackie Cordova, I see that you want to volunteer. I love you. I thank you. I would love to get you involved. And uh, Becca will jump in and, and make that happen. See, this is what this is all about. we got a great group of people. we got a great group of volunteers, and there's so many ways to get involved, so many ways to participate so many ways to help. Did you know that the Human Solution International can satisfy court-ordered community service hours? Did you know that? If you didn't, you know why? It's because our chapters didn't tell you. Nobody put the word out. Hopefully they will soon. I'm doing it right now. I've said that on this radio show a dozen times. I'm saying it now. I'll say it every week from here on out. If you or somebody you know has court-ordered community service hours. We are a federally recognized 501c3 civil rights organization, and we can generally get qualified by that court to sign those hours off. And imagine, and it's happened many, many times. I think we've probably signed off close to 1,000 hours over the years. Imagine you got busted maybe for pot, maybe for something else stupid and nonviolent, and the judge, in his benevolence, gave you 25, 50, 100 community service hours to be fulfilled at the nonprofit of your choice. You have to go out, find a nonprofit, go tell the probation department or whoever you need to report to that I would like to fulfill my hours with the Human Solutions International. Can I do that? And they'll say, sure or I need proof of their 
nonprofit status or whatever. We have everything you might need. And then you come aboard and we say, well, hey, sign up as a volunteer. We will put you to work. There's lots of great things to do, and we, we, can, we can make it easy. You can do it from home. You can do it from your computer, or you can do it in person. You can do it in a number of different ways. Imagine that. I'd feel pretty good about it if I was ever given community service hours and to satisfy, to pay my dues to society, I got to help. I got to help do something that I already wanted to do. Might be a pretty good idea. Consider it. Think about it. If you know anybody who has community service hours or is likely to get them, or maybe you can help us advertise and tell the world about that. So many ways to help. Some could involve you being very public, could teach you how to become a public speaker. You know, before I got started with this, I was shy. I never really wanted to stick my neck out there in the forefront. But life wasn't going to let that happen. I've kept throwing me in situations where I had to speak up or step back, one of the two. Well, here I am, <laughs> doing a monologue for 40 minutes to thousands of people that I can't even see. Imagine that. What a weird thing that is. Anyhow, um, that's the bulk of what I have to say today. And I've still got lots of time, and that will give you guys plenty of time to talk about what you want to. So if you've got something you want to say, if you want to share a story, we've got, uh, I don't know, probably about 30 minutes or so still to go. And um, I would love to hear what you have to say. So today we got Mike. He's going to come up and give us a little, uh, a little bit of time, and then Becca's going to come up and Give us some good words, and let's see what's going on with Becca today. I'll start off with Mike. This is Mike Webb from the Kansas chapter. Um, if you don't know Mike, he's been uh, very active, actually one of our more active chapters, more active members. They've been involved in a number of cases um, across the great state of Kansas. Um, they even actually went so far as to help to rebuild a house that was uh, connected to a case. Uh, so that the defendant could actually see your kids again. Imagine that. I uh, just got done running for office in the state legislature of Kansas. Didn't win, but he's learned a ton about the political process. Oh, that's another thing I wanted to bring up. And then we'll bring up Mike. So I was listening to a radio show today. And in this radio show... The, one of the hosts was talking about uh, how he had been approached to run for office in California for some minor office. I don't even know what it was. He didn't say. And he said, well, you know, this office didn't pay very well, and there was some serious uh, money behind the people that wanted him to run. And he said, well, you know, that's, that might be fun and all, but I doing pretty good as a radio host, and, and I would take a significant pay cut. I got three sons in college. I need to make so much money. Um, I don't know. Why would I do it? And they said to him, well, hey, don't worry about it. We're going to set you up a nonprofit, 
your wife can make a six-figure salary from the nonprofit. Your three sons can uh, get a job at this nonprofit, and uh, you'll be fine. You'll make more money than you ever did. And he said, well, how's that going to work? Well, it turns out that this individual, this organization was connected to a number of clients, clients that would be maybe, I don't know, government contractors, people that would receive funds from government programs, and they would donate significant monies to this nonprofit that would do benevolent work for the community that this person would then get a paycheck from or multiple paychecks from. But as it might happen, these contractors, these NGOs, these different um, corporate organizations that fed off of the government teat might come to ask you for a favor now and again, might want some preferential treatment, in which case, and you should probably help them out because if you're going to want their donations to keep your foundation running, you kind of need to keep them happy now, don't you? And he hadn't talked about that, and he didn't get specific, but he said this is the reality, this is the real world of politics. And that's what happens to all the politicians when they get into office. They get approached by those folks that uh, are in the know, that are connected, and this is very commonplace. Very commonplace. Maybe if enough of us were aware of how things really happened, maybe if enough of us were inspired to change how things really are, maybe maybe we could change it. I welcome you to help us to make that happen. I welcome you to get engaged, get involved, become part of something bigger than yourself. I can promise you this, the people that you are involved with are have a great heart, a variety of personalities, a variety of political points of view, a variety of religious persuasions, a re- variety of everything. We are a true melting pot. All we care about is that you want to help us make change. That's it. And you wouldn't violate our code of conduct. You're not going to go out there and start creating a ruckus in our name. We don't want that. So that all being said, we got Mike Webb, and let's see what old Mike's got to say. Mike, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Doing good, Joe. Good to good to talk to you. Good to be here. Um, pretty good. Staying busy. So, Very busy. What is happening in the great state of Kansas? Oh, we've had uh, several different. You know, we've always got cases going on. You know, we spend hours a week on the phone just talking to people about what's been going on with their stuff. And uh, you know, we kind of got a good break with the Matthews case, or we'll see what happens. But you know, the judge is getting upset about the case, and so hopefully as that one moves forward, we get a better outcome there. Now, um, this is a, a good example, and without revealing too much, the way I understand it, um, this is a case that evolved from an ex-husband 
um, basically sicking the cops on on his ex-wife, and I don't know if it's his daughter, but it's certainly her daughter. Um, and this is a very common occurrence. I don't know how many times I've seen when supporting a, a defendant that there was an ex-girlfriend, an ex-boyfriend, an ex-business partner, whatever, people's friendships that went south and it turned into a, you know, in my case it was an ex-employee um, that, that, that turned psychopath and, and launched this case. Um, but in this case, the ex-husband was already under some kind of an order not to interfere um, with his wife's uh, activities. And the fact that this case is so ridiculous, it's over less than a gram of cannabis, and it's spread out over three people. Um, I can imagine how this judge is like, what the F are you guys doing? Um, it's a great opportunity for due process to actually do what it's supposed to do. And, you know, as uh, Tom Corby's always talking about probable cause and the 995 motion to dismiss, this is a perfect example of that. If uh, uh, the complaint uh, was based off of information that was illicitly or illegally um, given or gained, that pretty much shoots that down. That that, that renders that uh, um, motivation. I've always, the heard reason. That. I've always heard that as the fruit, the fruit of the poisonous tree is like the terminology I think that I've heard them use in court for that. And the Fourth Absolutely. Amendment violations, search and seizures. Yep. Yeah, and what it basically goes down to is a search warrant is – issued from what they call a complaint. So the initial complaint is the police report that is issued either from an informant or it could be from a cop that happened to witness something or it could be from whatever, an incident report. But generally, especially cannabis cases, um, the, the initial complaint or the initial police report is based on testimony from an individual. And so the judge would then review that and determine is this search warrant material or is it a bunch of hooey? And if the person is adamant enough or or persuasive enough or knows the right words, like in my case, um, the, the, the instigator of the complaint, whose name is Rich uh -huh. Anderson, and somewhere in Orange County, California, literally, hang on, let me finish this. Important. He literally told the cop that I am aware of illegal and dangerous activity that has and is currently happening and that I have intimate knowledge of these things and that I fear for my life by telling you this. That literally set that in motion where they had to follow up and they had to file that search warrant and that was based on lie testimony. Um, so in this case, uh, this is a guy who's basically saying, hey, my wife's a drug dealer, and I know she's at this place, and she's got pot and drugs, and at the same time, he was not supposed to be able to do that, um, and clearly she didn't have pot and drugs. So go ahead. Sorry for cutting you off. I just want people to understand what actually happens in the world. Oh, no, I mean, that's just all I was just updating you on that, what was going on there. 
you know, I was going to, I was going to mention something earlier because of what you said about, uh, you know, earlier when the show, when you were talking about the, 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 the bringing the change and, and what's happening and everything. And I can't hardly wrap my head around the idea because at a younger age and growing up, you know, we were, we were taught about prohibition and alcohol, you know, it's part of American history, you know, what happened through that and the innocent people that got killed. And then you start looking at things and can't understand. I can't grasp how people cannot understand that we're dealing with the exact same thing a hundred years later, the exact same thing a hundred years later. Indeed. Indeed. And it's so true because, you know, what do we have? We have a giant black market. We have, um, you know, a, a, a twisted, set of rules here and there and not here and not there, and it allows for, literally, the cops have become the mob. You know, the cops are the ones that are going around raiding and stealing and, and, and seizing property and, and, you know, causing mayhem in the same way that, uh, that the mob did in Chicago at the same time. Right. Yeah, they're definitely doing some, you know, just, just, a lot of these cases that we keep coming up here in Kansas, you know, a pound and a half of butter somebody's got here, and we haven't picked up that case yet. We haven't talked to them, but they got arrested for a pound and a half of butter. That's like six sticks of butter and probably has, you know, 10% THC at best. Right, right. Yeah, somebody's, somebody's swag and, and uh, uh, trim or, or, or whatever, the throwaway crap, and they cooked it into a – a few tubs of butter, and you know, just like when they raid a place and they and they yank out plants from the ground and they put it on the scale, they put it on the scale with dirt and roots and everything, stems and sticks and seeds and you name the it all. Pot. It all comes. Yeah, they put the container in there too. I mean, I have seen so many times, and that's how you know our experience uh, to bring in an, an expert, a court qualified expert that can actually determine the actual usable quantity. See, that's that's a key word in a cannabis case is usable, and it comes up. And when those initial numbers come in that, you know, make the newspaper headlines, you know, oh, yeah, $17 million worth, uh, you know, 287 pounds. Well, okay, what exactly did you weigh? You know, did you weigh the whole refrigerator with it? You know, I mean, because sometimes they do. They just... They just arbitrarily, and, and you know what they don't do? And this is important because <laughs> I've used the term exculpatory before in that when they go raid a place, sometimes there's evidence that they seize that would actually show that you are not breaking the law. And that was what was true in my case. There was all kinds of evidence that they seized that demonstrated that I was not breaking the law. They didn't bring that up. They did not bring that up. Do you think for one second that the cops are going to take your pot, dry it out, cut the buds off, and use that part as evidence because that's the actual usable part? What do you think the odds of that happening are? Zero. Zero. It's probably never happened. In fact, I'd be willing to bet a couple of nickels that there's no case ever where they actually produced the usable quantity of the very thing that they're saying you did wrong. Nope. They do the exact opposite. They stack the odds to make it appear that it's worse than it is. Well, why would you do that? 
Your job is to enforce the law. Your job is to get the bad guys, the actual bad guys. Why would your job in any way, shape, or form <coughs> involve trying to make somebody look like they're a bad guy? What's up? I want to know that. Nobody ever answers that question. You know, in my case, literally at the end of the trial, at the end of my trial, my attorney actually had to get up on the stand. My own attorney ended up testifying at the very end of my trial, and his testimony included the fact that he had gone to the prosecutor's office and said, I need to see the evidence that showed the employee records that would have shown that my client fired this guy for a series of wrongdoings against the company, and that's why he started this whole thing. Nope, they couldn't find it. They could not find it. Now, they, when they raided me, they raided a dozen locations, 17 locations in all, and they seized every goddamn thing you could imagine, and there was an evidence warehouse full of all of my evidence. <coughs> you think we could have found it? No, they buried that stuff down. And, and and that, you know, you want to talk about courtroom drama, imagine a defense attorney getting taking the stand in his own case. It never happens. He ended up disqualifying himself from being my attorney in the next case over that. But what he did do is he put that on the record. <coughs> and in my appeal, when we actually overturned the verdict, it was beneficial. And I'm a free man today. I have no criminal record. Right. And that's part of the reason. So, Mike, um, I understand that, uh, you know, with with uh, after the election, uh, you're, you're still deeply involved in the local government there in Kansas, local to state government, I should say, um, and we're going to be getting more and more involved with our 501c4, the Human Solution Foundation, not only in Kansas but in other states in uh, incubating possible political candidates and getting involved in introducing legislation and, and all of that separate from the Human Solution International 501c3. What, what, what do you got brewing in that cup of joe? Well, Friday I'm having coffee, a cup of joe, with um, another guy who's pretty involved in politics. He's a, He's actually somehow represents Americans for Prosperity. And everybody I've talked to in politics has pretty much given him a good name and said that he does he want he's been working to do exactly what we want to do, and so we're going to sit down and put our heads together. Uh, I'm going to meet with some legislators and find out what they need to have on some certain law changes that we're going to be pushing for, and uh, that way we can uh, get bills pre-wrote so that we can introduce them in January and be ready to go for the political season. Uh, we got a lot we got a lot going on out here. Trust me. Well, I'm looking forward to um, spending more and more time getting the 501c4 established, developed, and launched. And, um, you know, in the next, uh, you know, weeks and months coming up, there's going to be a lot of good news coming out of that. Um, so what we're doing right now is we're looking to grow our chapters and get them uh, more engaged. Um, and as you are a chapter coordinator, um, I know that we've got a lot of people in Kansas um, that listen to the show, and I've had people personally reach out to me and say, hey, I want to get more involved. Um, how would they get a hold of you if they want to get more involved in your chapter? Um, 
we're on the THSI website, thsindl.org, and uh, you can find us on Facebook, the Human Solution International, Kansas chapter. Uh, you can look up our company, Dude Smell This, and send us a message that way. Uh, there's all, you know, any one of those ways works. Awesome. All right, Mike. Well, always a pleasure. And, uh, you know, I never would have imagined that I developed a fondness for Kansas, but it's all happening here live. And uh, it's not so much the state, it's the people that's in it. We've got some really great folks in Kansas, and I'm really enjoying working with you guys. And, you know, they call it the heartland of America. I got to, I got to concur with that. So, uh, looking forward to seeing you guys soon. All right. Thanks, Joe. See you soon. All right. Take care. All right. Now we have one of my favorite people in the world who said she was going to talk, but then didn't put it up there that she was going to talk. But that's okay. She said she was going to talk, and that's all I need. This is our lovely Becca. Um, and Becca has been <laughs> deeply involved in human solutions <laughs> for the last, uh, I don't know, six years or more. And, um, you know, she's watched and, and it's been on, on receiving sides of all kinds of drama that's come our way. And she's our bookkeeper. You know, it's so funny. Um, out of all of the things that happen, you know, when, when I'm a little bit of an intense individual, unless you've noticed, um, I, I, I can bring out the best or maybe bring out the worst in you, but I'll bring something out because I, I mean it. I'm here because it matters. And get involved, I'm going to try to get you involved. And uh, when things go bad, sometimes they go bad and people get mean and, and, and nasty and they make all kinds of accusations. And I don't know how many times I've had, you know, money accusations thrown my way. But you know what? I did something kind of smart a long time ago. I said, Joe, don't touch the money. <laughs> but Becca does. And Becca's the one who has managed our books for the last six years now. And and kept us compliant and, and, and made it so I don't have to worry what anybody says now, do I? No, you don't. I've got it all written down in black and white. <laughs> Everything's always accounted for. So tell us what's going on, Becca. I know, um, you know, we've been working together for a long time, and I'm kind of excited about our upcoming election and membership drive and, and watching the chapters kind of put their best foot forward in the next couple of months. What are your thoughts? I'm very excited about it. I think we're going to go through a big growth of chapters and members, and I'm really jazzed about it, and I think we're going to have an awesome board. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk tonight was because I'm going out of my normal zone, and I'm actually going to run for vice president of the Human Solution International. Nice. Nice. Well, I, I think, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? What would, why would somebody want to vote for you? Well, <laughs> I do probably 90% of what's done in the background of the human solution. <laughs> I run meetings. I'm organized. I'm trustworthy. I'm moral. I think I would be an excellent vice president. Awesome. And, and, and I couldn't agree more. You know, it's funny. Um, over the years, I've had... I've I've been the lone president of the organization, and, and, and again, I welcome anybody who thinks they can do a better job. Get out there and put your hat in the ring. You've got to be a <laughs> member, you've got to qualify, and you've got to fill out that application. But I tell you what, if you're serious and you have uh, credentials, I will absolutely run against your ass in a second. And, <laughs> and if, if you're better than me, I hope you, I hope you win. 
Um, but it's a big responsibility, and it's a lot of work. And it's mm-hmm. most of the thing it does is it sticks your neck out there, and you take the arrows for the corporation, for the company, for the organization, uh, more than anybody. I mean, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen you get attacked, um, or any of our board members get attacked. No, it's always, but you get always, attacked. I'm the, I'm the arrow target. <laughs> but that's okay. And I always I, had I, your I, back. I, always had yep. your back. So I want to make it official. You know. Good. Awesome. You have a VP and, that you know you can count on, and yeah, the, the care of shit. Absolutely, I think that, and and I think that, um, you know, that it's so funny because you know, in the past, the very first ev- or or incarnation of this organization, uh, we had kind of a show board. I had all these people. It was all locals because we were just one chapter, and and all these people wanted to be on the board. They wanted to be this, and we had you know the vice president and all this, these people didn't do shit. Like, none of them did anything. <coughs> it was me coming, oh, no, we talked and talked. Everybody likes to talk and smoke a lot of pot and eat, but nobody <laughs> really wanted to do anything. And so, actually, actually, I finally had enough of that whole situation because I'm not, I'm not here just to hang out. I mean, I love hanging out. I love talking. I love all of that stuff. But we got plenty of time for that. When I'm doing this, I'm here to get work done. I'm here to get some real shit done, and I literally said, you know what, I'm going to just dissolve the whole thing, and literally, I dissolved the corporation, and we were just nothing, we were the, just the human solution, uh, what do we call ourselves, a community club or something, and actually, my <laughs> daughter, for a few months, I think it was about six months, was president, I said, I don't want to be president anymore, this is ridiculous, <laughs> it's not working, and and uh, my daughter, Shannon, was president of the Human Solution for probably about six months. But that's when you know something's real, because when you throw it away and say, forget it, and it's like, hell no. You started this, you're going to finish it. And it just kept coming back, it kept coming back, kept coming back, kept coming back. And finally, we did it again. And this time, it, it took off and grew. And... <laughs> When we actually uh, came around the second time and had a, um, you know, a, a new board, a new corporation, and did it all, uh, my vice president at the time was was a powerhouse and and you know really had a lot of of good to bring to the world, but you know it went south and all of a sudden I got attacked again, hmm. and we literally, you know, had to pick up the pieces of this organization and over the last six years we've been doing that. Since that time I had a Vice president that did very little, um, and it'll be. I literally now have two people running for vice president, and whoever wins, I'm gonna yep. be stoked because I'm gonna have a fucking great vice president. And Either whoever way, doesn't win, remember, and they'll Mike be able to great. help out just as much. I am so effing excited about this. No matter what happens. The organization is going to be better than it was. And if for some reason somebody comes in and, and runs for president and beats me, then huh. I'll be a silent guy that helps out a lot. Either way, it, it, there's there's no way the human solution is going to end up not being better as a result of this. So I've never been more excited um, than I have about this election. And the only thing I care about right now is that everybody that cares gets involved Signs up, becomes a card-carrying member, and 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 votes. 
it's it's just that important. So, awesome, Becca. I am excited to hear that your hat is in the ring, and uh, you know, it, it just warms my heart. Awesome. I'm excited. I'm excited for this new board. All right. Um, and I understand you've got a chapter in Portland, and I'm not going to say much because I haven't sent your survey yet, but I, I understand <laughs> there's a chapter meeting coming soon out there, right? I'm trying to get some interest in it, yeah. I'm going to have to work it because I've been silent too long. That's my bad, so right. i got to wake it up. Yeah. Yeah, I need some cowbell. They, they, like, what the <laughs> hell is that bell about? And then they start coming around. All you got to do is be a little bit interesting, and people come to want to hear what you have to say. And mm-hmm. what we have to say is important. It's, it's good work, good stuff. So, awesome. Um, all right, Becca, well, if somebody wants to get involved with the Human Solution or find out more about the Portland chapter, how do they get a hold of you? Go to the website, thsintl.org, or find me on Facebook. I'm easy to find. I'm public. My name's Becca on Facebook. Get a hold of me there. Well, it is my honor and privilege to be working alongside you, and uh, I look forward to doing that even more and making the world yet a better place. Me too. Awesome. Thank you so much, Becca. All right, so I'm going to do a quick update from uh, Dee Dee Kirkwood, who could not make the show today, but I have a little update from Michael Thompson. Um, Michael, as you know, is a prisoner that we've been supporting for more than seven years um, and long before all these other guys got involved, but these other guys that got involved really have done a great job in bringing attention to this case. Um, And so I applaud all that, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Anyways, um, he he has his phone interview tomorrow with one member of the parole board. And remember, the attorney general of the state of Michigan wrote a letter on his behalf. I don't know what a better advocate you could get than the attorney general of the state that you're locked up in. He's in state prison, not federal. Um, so tomorrow he gets a, a phone interview with the parole board. Hopefully there's some good news. Meanwhile, his COVID is clear. He's now dealing with very swollen and painful feet that are probably related to his diabetes. Um, So anyways, I'm very much hoping uh, to hear some good news and to have a trip to Michigan that will be coming up real soon because i got to go see my friend Michael Thompson um, out of the prison in Michigan. All right. We're going to close the show down at a reasonable time. It's two minutes over time, and we got just enough time for Tom Corby to, to say his final piece, and we're going to bug on out of here. Tom Corby, welcome to the show. Oh, Tom Corby. Damn it. Oh, thanks, Joe. I, I had it on me. We're, you're live and clear. Welcome to the show. Oh, oh good. But well, yeah, I want to thank you, Joe, as always, and Becca and Coffee Party Radio Show. These are historical shows. They're all part of history. <sighs> Sometimes the hardest thing to do is to stand together and agree to disagree. Uh, Don't forget to breathe, Tom. Uh, 
<laughs> Thanks, Frank. Yeah, I'm here with, uh, with my very good friend and Joe's friend, Frank Canan. And I don't know without him if Donna uh, would made, would have ever made it. I want to thank everybody else, all the people out there for your love and support. Tito upstairs now and Angela and all those come together to help. And that's what we do with the Human Solution International as we come to help others and defendants. Now, of course, there's always going to be agreements and disagreements. Joe will be the first one, Becca, myself, right? No, we're not perfect. Now, we're going to make mistakes, but we have to focus on our main goal, which is to end prohibition and free all our POWs. No one should be going to jail for our sacred plants, especially our kids. That's what we must focus on, no matter. And that's what I do. When I get all the drama starts, I just focus on my goal and vision, all of ours. So we have not only a dress, but we have a code of conduct. And code of conduct says just have some love and respect and try to agree to disagree. And if it was me and I was disagreeing and I didn't like it, well, then uh, nobody's making anybody be here. The people that need to be here are the ones like Joe, Becca, uh, Candace, Frank, who is our uh, Butte County coordinator up here in the Human Solution International. I like to always say something about Frank Canan's case how how did he win his case, and why did I tell these defendants when I first hear their case? I'm going to give you two to one odds. Joe's heard this. Your case is going to be dismissed. So many of them are so much BS, like our friend Dana and those in Kansas City. Come on, two grams, not even two pounds is nothing. So that's what we do, our stand our ground. How do we do that? With our defendants, that's our goal and vision is focus on our defendants that need our help. We always take them to trial. No plea deals. Did you know that public defenders, pretenders, make three times as much money if they can deal you out, make a deal, and then they're done? If you've ever spent time in these courtrooms, it's a dog and pony show. It's where a lot of this unrest in the world starts. It's right down here in these courtrooms. Because we stood our ground, and Joe's been up here more than once for even one of our, couple of our pre-trials, we stood our ground. And the most important thing Joe brought out again, when you come for defendant, is first of all is Get the discovery, which is your police report. Start working it with your defendant, and, and you're going to find out there's so much of it, BS and lies, and that's what you throw at them. You file 
You make your you, you work with your PDs. You really don't need to hire an attorney for most of these cases, at least at first, because if you have anybody that that can advocate at all, if you have thirty court supporter or one person there can help a defendant with advocation to get them started on the right ground. And uh, you have to uh, actually with Eric Pierce's case twice, and he had one of the worst PDs we've ever seen up here in Butte County. He uh, filed twice to have this judge recused, and they wouldn't let him. And that's what they in there, they pretty much uh, have control over you in there, and that's what they want. So when you file uh, a 995 dismiss probable cause motion, that usually gets a bacon. And when I talk about probable cause, the first thing is, what is the probable cause? It's usually weak. Uh, it's, it's, there is none. Uh and it's also entrapment. So they entrap you, and and then uh, then they lie about you, and it seems like, well, that's okay. That they actually, and so you're sitting in, in these courtrooms for all day, for weeks we used to, and they just ring them up on the cash register, continuance, money, continuance. And so we finally learned with court support, we must go with our priorities. And that means uh, preliminary hearings, yes, but especially will come up and for trials. I understand a good friend, Bob Jarrett, up there in Crescent City with his case up in, in Oregon. I guess they're still over that, that really weak case. They're going to take them to trial. When they do that, Joe brought out last week, and you're talking to jury. Well, I can, Joe can, Frank can. Once you go through this, and you're talking to a jury. Uh, one point being is is and Nick Moran's big trial that he won up here when they were doing jury selection. Uh, this one juror got up and he says. This is just for misdemeanors. And he walked out and he said, well, thanks for all the help. Now I know how to make that oil. Yeah. So in these courtrooms, I finally figure out we're educating them all in there. And one day I walk in with my briefcase and my suit and tie. And what do I represent? Well, they thought I was this, this defendant's attorney. So this judge asked me one day, sir, I said, uh, and I looked back, I said, no, you. I said, me? He said, and he said, so I walked up to the podium. He says, why are you here? I said, to help, help this defendant and his family that just got out of jail, and I'm giving him support and a little avocation guidance. He said, oh, well, well, good. So I stopped. Whole court, the whole courtroom stopped and waited. They were waiting for me to keep talking. Now I'm not. I'm not usually a man of brevity, but I got the hell out of Dodge 
the point being is we stand our ground and uh, we take them on, throw everything at them, make them sick of this. So uh, I want to thank everybody today, and and Frank might like to say uh, a little something about how about your friend up there in Missouri that's going at the, your dependent in Missouri, your friend that that's going through that case up in Missouri. Yeah, it seems like Kansas City and Missouri there are, 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 are they uh yeah they need to, we need a lot of work there. So we appreciate Dana and uh, all the all the uh, coordinators in the different states. So now what I had to say that up here, because of what of all the things I said, uh, back then, Joe knows, we spent uh, at least half our time in these courtrooms, and now uh, we are spending actually none, which uh, I really need a break. I don't think I can do it anymore. And that's why we stand our ground, and that's what, that's what we're all about. I like to say it's a humane human solution and that's what we do to comfort others and they'll comfort you so thank you all today and like my wife Donna says don't forget to just breathe thank you all today well, thank you, Tom. Always a pleasure. And uh, we're now a little bit beyond our expected uh, one-hour time. We're at almost 15 minutes over the line. So we're going to wrap it up. I appreciate you all. I thank you for being here. I welcome you. I invite you. I encourage you. I hope to inspire you to Take a little bit of action to decide to be a part of the solution. Let's make this world a better place. What say you? I will talk to you next week. Hi, I'm Willie Nelson, and the Willie Nelson Teapot Party and I endorse the human solution, supporting cannabis prisoners because no one should go to jail for a plant. Little things I should have said, Don. You were always...